Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today, I'm excited to share with you a fellow podcaster who's also working in a similar space of behavioral science and technology, Susan Weinshank. Her podcast, Human Tech, you definitely need to go check it out, but we're going to hear a little bit more about what brought her there. She is the CEO of Group W. Did I get that correct, Susan? No, actually, the Team W, Team but you w, have the right sorry. metaphor. Okay. Anyway, welcome, Susan. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you and your interest in behavioral science to this space of human and technology? It actually started when I was in graduate school. I have a PhD in psychology, and I was in grad school, and I'm not going to tell you the year. Let's just say it was a long, long time ago. And maybe as I describe the technology, you might be able to figure out the year, but i you know, didn't had never really done anything with technology. I was definitely a psychology uh, nerd. And I was at Penn State. And Penn State has had, I don't know if they still do, an interesting language requirement for graduate students. You had to take a foreign language. Or if you wanted to, you could take a computer language to fulfill that language requirement. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd and interesting. And since I had never learned to program, I decided I would take a programming language. So I took a programming language, went to run my first program ever, handed in the punch cards. This is where you can start to figure out the year, maybe. <laughs> handed in the punch cards to the, the computer scientist behind the desk who ran the program for me. And then I waited for my little slip of paper, very excitedly ran over. You know, it was like some, some program where it added up a column of numbers or something, right? And uh, run over to see if it added it up correctly. And on the green and white striped sheet of paper, it said, uh, job aborted. And that's all it said. And this was before the idea of user-friendly ever existed. And I became, you know, I looked at that piece of paper. It said job aborted. And uh, rather than being discouraged, I became fascinated because I started thinking, wait a minute wait a minute, what happens when normal everyday people like me, not computer scientists, start really working with these things called computers? And so that was what launched me actually in that I continued on and got my PhD in psychology, but I was hooked on this relationship between behavioral science and technology. And I didn't know at the time that this was actually a whole thing. You know, at that time it was called human factors and I, I didn't know that. So that's when I began to discover that. And so uh, ever since then, which is a long time ago, I've been fascinated by this intersection between people and technology. Well, I, I love it. And it's very similar to my story and just that at early on, there's something that sparks an interest. And even if it our lives take us in different paths, you can't really get rid of that bug. And it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I remember doing some, you know, printing out these, these great banners and dot matrix format and, and thinking, isn't this so cool, but there's got to be so much more. And how can we use these to connect people? This is pretty exciting stuff. So you were at in Pennsylvania at the time doing some early stage development with or playing, it sounds like more with the technology and learning 
sort of both the frustration, but the excitement of the potential. How did that move you to where you are now? Did you sort of weave in and out of the sort of human computer interaction space? Or did you come back to it? Well, you know, I I finished my PhD and I taught college for one year. And then I went and got a, I had a different kind of research job at a university. And actually what happened was I was at Syracuse University in this research job that didn't have anything to do with, with technology per se, except that I had a lot of data. I had to, you know, crunch a lot of numbers. And again, this was before everyone had a computer on their desk and I had to keep going over to the computer building to run my programs. And so personal computers had come out at that point, but they just weren't very common. And so I started requisitioning the university to set up my own, you know, I wanted my own computer. I wanted my own software. I was going to, you know, I I had taken that programming class. I was going to crunch my own numbers. And at one point, the computer science, the head of the computer sciences at Syracuse University called me up and said, can you come over here and talk to me? And he pulls out this file. He said, I have a file this thick on you because you keep like you're you're going outside of all the all the bounds here of of what what we do. And I looked at him and I said, Well, you better get ready because this is coming. And if you guys think that everyone's gonna come to the computing center and ask you to do everything for them, that's over right? Everyone, everyone's going to have a computer. They're all going to be doing this stuff on their own. And this was something that, you know, I said, you can either, you can either head it up and, and be on top of it, or you can be flooded by it and go under. And he kind of looked at me in, in shock and dismay and then offered me a job, which I did not take that job to help this with this transition of everybody at the university, all the faculty members getting their own computer and letting students all have access to their own computer. And actually then after that, I also got offered a a similar job from Princeton University, which I also turned down and they were like shocked. Apparently no one turns down a a faculty, tenured faculty position at Princeton for at at all. But I turned all these jobs down to take a job with a human factors consulting company. And that was really my big launch. So that was probably about three years out of grad school. I just went right into the field of um, you know human factors in software again before the term usability or user friendly had really come out, but that's what launched me. And we're talking about quite a long time ago. So then I spent the rest of my career, you know, in this place of this intersection between, you know, initially working a lot on software, you know, how do you design software so that the humans that have to use it can use it. I did a lot of teaching of programmers, how to design so that it would be more user-friendly than usability. The term usability came along, user-friendly came along, user experience came along. And and I did that work for several decades, and I still do that work. I mean, I, that's still a par- portion of what we do. But, you know, as time went on, I I became much more interested, you know, not just how do we design software, how do we design websites, or how do we design apps so that they're easy to use, uh, and then how do we design them so that they're persuasive and people want to use them and they're engaging. But then I really, I would say maybe about seven years or so ago, I really, uh, 
I really expanded that and then and went back to my psychology and behavioral science roots. You know, there's so much wonderful new stuff about behavioral science, behavioral economics, um, neuroscience, what's going on in the brain, that I just immersed myself, you know, back into the research and started thinking about that and speaking about this topic of people and technology in, in, I guess you would say, maybe a larger way or uh, a more philosophical way, just kind of stepping back a little. And, and, and as I said, we still spend some of our time in, in the weeds of what it means, you know, what, what actually should be the words you put on that button. But a lot of the time now we spend thinking in these, as I think you do, Heidi, in mm-hmm. these larger questions about uh, what is the relationship between machines and technology and humans and, and how's that evolving? Well, I think it's an exciting time because people are starting to recognize sort of that there is this relationship, there is this dynamic that we need to figure out how to manage and balance just like any other relationship. And before it was just sort of this tool that was being developed, even though we look at sort of user interfaces or usability or whatever we call it as time changes, it's beyond that. It's more recognizing how integrated it is into our lives and 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 how that impacts the way we behave and the way we interact with each other. So I think it's a really exciting time. I find now I'm being pulled in, I'm sure you're getting the same thing, getting pulled in a lot of conversations that that before, you know, they were they weren't even considering this as as something that was important. And now all of a sudden they want to know, you know, from a strategic level of an organization, how is this changing the way we work or how is this impacting, you know, what we're going to be developing in the future, far beyond sort of the interface of the, you know, the software that manages the tool that they're developing. So I think it's a really exciting time. I would say that for me, every era we've gone through, you know, as a decades, and, and really I've been doing this work for decades, so I can say that as the decades go by, every era we're in, in terms of really realizing what are the relationship issues right now, and that changes over time, I think they've all been exciting. I mean, I, I, I was excited when people were using computers as a tool. I was excited when we started to realize that, for instance, you know, having a computer in the room when, when an insurance salesperson was trying to make a sale, that that was affecting the relationship with between them and their customer. You know, I was excited by that. I was excited by, you know, the re- there's new research out about the influence that just having a cell phone in the room even when it's not yours or the person you're talking to, but just that it's there, you know, how that changes the interaction between the humans in the room, even though they're not interacting with a phone that is sitting on the other side of the room. So to me, it's all, uh, you, you know, that's how you know you're like totally into what you're doing is that, you know, I find all this stuff so fascinating. Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly fascinated. And, you know, now we're facing this whole question of, um, which we've been facing for a while, but I I think it's become more um, talked about, uh, you know, what is our relationship with social technology? You know, when the, 
you know, when the technology is now talking to us, when we now, when we're starting to have robotic type devices that interact with us directly. And, you know, what, what does that mean? And what is that like? And so, yeah, for me, every, every era we go through is uh, fascinating, is exciting, is fraught with potential issues and, and dangers really, I think to us, but you know, we're, we're not, we're not going backwards. We're not going to turn away from it. But I do, you know, if I get concerned, and sometimes like, there's a talk that, that we give called the future of human technology interaction. And that talk has evolved over time. And, and I give the talk sometimes. And my, my colleague Guthrie gives the talk and we have kind of our own little two different versions of it. And, and, uh, he was at one of the talks I gave recently and he said to me afterwards, wow, you're really dark about this stuff. You know, he's, I think a much more optimistic and, and uh, I'm much more, you know, uh, doom and gloom about where we might end up if we don't, if we're not careful, if we don't think about it. And, well, but um, I think that's very representative of what, what's happening out there in society is you have people that are excited about it and people that are scared of it, that are sort of concerned about it. And, and I think, you know, I, I like you, I mean, I, I've been excited about it all along. What I find is different now is that you, when you have a conversation about when I talk about what I do, for example, instead of only being of interest to the people that are working in the tech space, everybody sort of says, Oh, well, this impacts me. I'm I'm curious about this. Tell me about how this works and and how can I get involved? And that's a very different shift in the conversation where there's an interest because it's so much more pervasive in all levels of our lives. You can't separate the human from the technology anymore unless you go live out in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and and basically cut yourself off from society, which fine, you can go do that, but that's not really learning how to thrive and in the world as it is. So I think that it's it's an interesting shift. And, and because of that, we are getting these polarities. You mean between people who... Who are excited are, versus afraid. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm kind of both excited and afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have both of those going on at the same time. Cautious excitement or... <laughs> So what's your feeling on, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of conversations, particularly when you talk about polarity, with AI. You know, I'm sure this comes up a lot. People are always asking me questions about AI, but I'm, I'm curious about your personal feelings around, or professional feelings around AI and what that means for that polarity. Well, you know, I think that, I, I mean, I, 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 maybe I watch too many, you know, sci-fi movies and TV series. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's huge. And what I think is some of the things that I think are most interesting about, about all of this is that it creeps up on us and we don't even realize the changes we have made. And I think AI is going to do that. I mean, if you think about, if you think about privacy, you know, and, information that we are willing to have other people have. And it, it kind of, I, I was just listening to some news report about, about the fact that when you're, you know, when you're filling up your gas tank and, you know, the new 
the new gas gas station things where there's the video, mm-hmm. you know, just playing ads to you. And, you know, mo- uh, apparently, and I, I didn't realize I should have known, but I didn't really stop and think about it. But, you know, when you're filling up your gas tank and they have that technology embedded in the, in the tank, that, that technology is taking your credit card information and it knows that you are filling up at that gas station and it can read your whole credit card history. And it knows that you, it, it somehow the system knows that you tend to shop at this grocery store over here because you know, you've used your credit card over there too. And you, you order pizza over here and it starts sending you ads to while you're filling up your gas station based on your own credit card history. And then not only that, but when you, so if it flashes you an ad for a, you know, a sale on pizza that the, that at a pizza place that is between where you are right now and where your home is and that you've, you know, they, they assume you're going to go stop at. And then if you do stop and get the pizza, that pizza purchase gets sent back to the, gas station company mm-hmm. so that they know that that ad was was useful and they can send that data to the pizza place and say see we showed this ad to susan while she was filling up and she went and bought pizza so now you should pay us more money for more ads and just all that stuff that's going on underneath does anybody realize that your every movement is being tracked and reported to people you don't know and does that bother us I don't think it bothers very many people anymore. You know, all the Facebook privacy stuff, it it has just like crept up on us slowly, slowly, slowly. And as far as I can tell, there are some people who, you know, cancel their Facebook accounts, uh, refuse to go to the gas stations that have the screens. But, you know, what, 95% of people are just like, eh. So I think these you know, behind the scenes is because, you know, a lot of AI and and machine learning is, is and will be happening behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on. You know, we're not aware of it. And I think even if we were, a lot of people are less like, eh. So that, that is part, I think, for me of the, of the fear, you know, that I have is that we're going to end up in this place where AI is has taken over everything and we don't we didn't even necessarily consciously go there you know i mean you you make a decision to purchase and use a cell phone you make a decision to purchase and use uh, a computer or a tablet you are not making decisions to use all this ai stuff and have it it used behind the scenes in so many ways it's just happening. And, and I think we're going to end up in a very, you know, AI and machine world w- without, uh, without knowing it. And, and it's not even necessarily AI. I mean, I think just, you know, it depends on how you define AI, but I think just the algorithms. I've, ha- I've had some recent experiences flying on airlines where I'm pretty sure there's some algorithms underneath making decisions about what to do when you know one of my flight 
shifts are late and they're canceling my itinerary and rebooking me in a way that doesn't make sense to me. And I don't, you know, I'd like to have a few options, but I don't have any. And what's interesting to me is that the humans all along the line, like the customer service agents and so on, they don't have any control over it either. Like they can't intervene in it. It It's happening and there's no, you know, the humans are locked out. And um, that's just going to continue. And I, I, and we, like I said, my, I, I seem to, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one saying, Hey guys, you know, the, the sky is falling that, you know, that story about chicken, yeah, little, chicken little is falling. And, you know, and everyone's looking at me like, what is your problem? You know, just well, like- I think there's always two sides to it and that the pace of change is so rapid and the advantage that the technology creates in the, in that AI is that we're able to get response to that change in a pace faster than a human could do. So for example, when you're, there are so many different moving parts when flights get delayed, and then all of a sudden you have to rebook, you know, 400 people all at once, the the fact that they can get you on another flight versus the old system of standing in a long queue that by the time you get to the desk, the flight that you would have been rescheduled to is already gone. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, I, I see both sides to it. I think that, you know, for me, I guess I maybe, I, well, you were saying that Guthrie's more on the positive side. I think I see it as more, well, it's saving me some time and effort, and I'm not really doing anything that is really worth spying on anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't bother me that, you know, instead of getting a random ad that really has no context for me, I'm getting something that's contextual because my my shopping patterns are, you know, are being followed, which, you know, they have been all along. It's just that they're more accurate and there's more uh, more detail to it now because they're able to do that with the algorithm. So I think there's two sides to it. I think it, you know, it can't all, it's not all a bad thing. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I guess the thing that, that I worry about is, is as this becomes a deeper and more pervasive, I guess I don't want humans to be left out of the loop here. And I get concerned that the people who are making these decisions, because there are humans deciding about where to deploy AI, right? And how many behavioral scientists? (laughs) Not enough. Not enough. That's the thing that bothers me. It's like, you know, are there any behavioral scientists involved in these? Because I'll tell you, I've I've been asked to work on projects that involve the interaction portion, okay? The voice is talking, you know, how much should the voice talk? Uh, Should it be a male voice or a female voice, right? I mean, these kinds of questions. But I've not, nobody's contacted me about, you know, helping them with the underlying decisions around this. And so, and, and I, from what I can get, I've, you know, anybody I know working on, on AI, and maybe I just don't know, is not a behavioral scientist. So I, I can, I'm concerned yeah. that, you know, there's not, the human element is uh, 
quickly disappearing. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting and, and interested in and actually wanting to work on the transition where the AI uh, is writing our software, the AI is doing the interface design. I mean, I've been trying to, I've been saying to people, yeah, because I speak a lot to programmers and to UX, you know, uh, user experience people and designers. And uh, sometimes I'll say to them, you know, uh, AI will be, machines and, and artificial intelligence will be doing your job before too long. So I hope you have, <laughs> you know, because some of these people are quite young, yeah. you know, they're in their 20s or early 30s. They got a whole career. It's, they're not going to be doing what they're doing now in 10, 15, 20 years. They are not going to be, you know, using Adobe XD to design an app because yeah. the machines will be doing that automatically. So I'm hoping they figure out what to do for a career. But, you know, still, you know, are there behavioral scientists involved in this? Well, I'm seeing a lot yeah. more of that. And that's where I'm being brought in because that's the work that I do is really around uh, the ethics advisory and integrating you know, making sure that the human element is not left out, but also taking advantage of the human element as much as possible. So I think that this conversation is shifting. It's slow. It's not as fast as the technology is evolving. But I've, I am finding that there's more and more demand for the behavioral science input on the development and not just from the manipulation side, but also from the yeah. ethics side and the demand from organizations like the Center for Humane Technology that are saying, look, we've got to put to get put protocols in place. We've got to put, we've got to understand how to, how to refine so that we, th there's better sort of rule systems of what is ethical, what's not ethical, what are the limitations and, and really where, is the most important place to have the human element emphasized. I, I'm not as all gloom and doom, but I do think it's not moving fast enough. But I think that what we're going to see more of a demand for, you know, to your point, is people in the behavioral science space that understand technology, that understand, you know, how these two things interact. That And there's not enough of that right now. There's a lot of people that are either or, but there's not as many people that understand both languages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we need more people like you and I. <laughs> there is some great research going on, though. I do enjoy. Uh... Do you know the work, Heidi, of Kate Darling? You know what? Her name came up just the other day. I have not read her stuff yet. I'm going to have to go check it out. Yeah, you should check it out. And maybe you should uh, see if you can interview. You know, come to think of it, I don't know that we've reached out to her to interview her on our podcast. She does, um, I, I don't know if she's still at MIT. She, I mean, last I knew she was at MIT doing research on, you know, this, some of these behavioral science and social aspects of robots. I mean, she did a, a great, there's a, some great videos. I mean, it, it sounds, I, I, I see this is so interesting because I feel bad that I feel so gleeful about the videos in which she has people torture robots. <laughs> and it's like, okay, why should that, why should I feel bad about that? I mean, it's a robot, but she has people like do things to robots, adults, kids, you know, like hit them or drop them to see what, how people react to hurting the robots. Mm. And 
it's I think it's just just fascinating stuff that and I'm sure she's worked on a lot more than that, but she's definitely, you know, into in this area of uh, the relationship between uh, robots and humans and the social relationship. And, you know, I mean, there was, um, what was that book back in the 1990s? Shoot. Uh, by Richard Nisb- Nisbet. Oh, um, uh, I read I'm, that one during my dissertation. I think I, used I mean, they they were yeah. the first ones to address this question of what are the human expectations? That the fact that that people expect human people expect machines, whether they, whether the humans realize this or not, they're expecting machines to interact with them according to the same rules and social norms as human to human interaction. And um, you know, they were they were quite ahead of their time in thinking about some of these issues. So, you know, there's been some people that have been thinking about it even, even longer than I have. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's an exciting space to be in right now. And I think people are getting more and more curious and, and just wanting to understand that relationship better. I mean, I think the whole movement towards self-awareness in itself uh, not even just the human computer interaction side, but but sort of the understanding how we work and why we you know behave the way that we do, it really coincides with trying to understand that relationship better. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that that will actually give it some good momentum where we're seeing more conversations that are coming out of it, like the Singularity Conversation, Singularity University, and so the other places where we can have the dialogue from different perspectives. So I, th- I think it's going in the right direction, but we definitely need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, though. It is. It is. Well, <laughs> you know what? It has been such a treat having you on today. And I want to make sure that our guests can find you and find your podcast. So where do they, where do they find your work and, uh, and what are you up to these days? Well, the best way to, f- to find us is at just at our website, which is theteamw.com. So T-H-E. T-E-A-M-W.com. And from there, you can get to our blog and you can get to our podcast page. The podcast is called Human Tech. And these days, um, let's see, what are we up to? Well, you know, we do a lot of online video courses on various brain and behavioral science and user experience topics. So, uh, and typically, I, I live in Wisconsin. So when winter comes, which it has come now, I often spend a fair amount of time working on new courses. So we're, we're doing that, working on some new online video courses. And then we've been doing a lot of teaching of our, and of our behavioral design workshop. So that's been a, a really fun one to, to, to do. And that's become a really, really popular workshop where we take all these, you know, all the research we know of in terms of uh, psychology and behavioral economics and put that all together into a workshop about how to apply that to whatever technology you are designing. And uh, we just, I mean, we've had, it's been great wherever, when, when people brought us in to, to host that workshop, they've been selling out all the available tickets. So you're right. This is an area that people are very, very interested in. And so that's kind of what we've been up to lately. 
That's great. Well, I think, you know, for those of you out there listening, I highly recommend checking out their work and, uh, and attend one of those workshops if you get a chance. So you can check it out on their website and uh, the link will be in the show notes. So we'll make sure that you can find them. And uh, again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, having been in it and staying with it and uh, for sharing your wisdom today with us. Thanks, Heidi. So, and for those of you out there who haven't been with us before, but you enjoyed today's show, make sure you take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. We look forward to catching you soon. And thanks for joining us. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.